All right, everybody, welcome to the Shop Talk Show. We can't wait to get started here. We have but one lovely sponsor this week. It's Environments for Humans. Sponsors everywhere, and they're totally awesome. They have an upcoming conference called the Responsive Design Summit, rwdsummit.com. That's going to be a one-day online conference. You can attend from anywhere uh, about responsive design. We'll talk about that later in the show, but let's get this thing started. Shop Talk. Shop Talk. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Hello, welcome to episode 29 of the Shop Talk Show. I'm Dave Rupert uh, with Chris Coyer. Hey, everybody. And this is a podcast about, you know, mostly front-end stuff, some back-end stuff, some cool stuff. But, uh, Chris, do you want to introduce Sometimes our guests? It's about, it's, about, it's about the W3C and specs and the future of the web we have with us today, Tab Atkins. Thanks for joining us, Tab. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yay. So, as we all know, this is an interview show, but I like it when people, like, know all about the person that we're, we're speaking with. So, te- you like you work for Google, right? Is it- yes. Yeah, I've been working for Google for about two and a half years, and uh, before that, I was just a small-time web developer at some software company in Texas. Oh, right, right. So, you have some, uh, you know, it's not like you had no... <laughs> Uh, you like know what it's like. So tab writes specs. Let's get to that first, and then I'll say what I was going to say. Right? Specs meaning like what? Do, what does that mean when I say the word specs that gets thrown around so often? Yeah, it's the thing. Basically, it's coding a browser, but in English, it's just the things that browsers follow whenever they're adding new features. Hopefully, the yeah. relationship's a little bit complicated. Sometimes the specs follow the browsers, but somebody follows somebody closely related. And I write the English part of it while someone else writes the code part of it. Yeah, that's cool. So English is a big part of what you, you have to be very clear with your words when you I yeah. suppose. Yeah, that's cool. So some of us, you know, some of us spend time reading specs and some of us don't. I've been doing more of it lately because more I think mostly because they've been getting better, you know. They're like more readable than they have been in the past. I've certainly been trying. <sighs> yeah. Uh I was most recently Flexbox, which you were a part of that one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Flexbox is my baby. I've been working on it for about two years. Oh, like, really? Off you consider on. that your like that's your like number one spec that you're like most proud of? For right now, like my I still have a soft spot for my first spec, which was image values, because the gradients part was what got me into the group. I just kind of like wrote it on my own as part of the a contributor to the list, and they're like, "Well, this guy knows how to write a spec. Let's invite him in." But uh, Flexbox itself, yeah, I've spent a lot of effort on Flexbox. Rewrote. <clears throat> the entire thing. Like, there's not a word that's retained except maybe a couple of V's and A's. And, uh-huh. um, yeah, it's just, I think it's really good and I'm happy with it. Uh, and of course, though, I can't, while we're talking about how I'm taking all this credit for Flexbox, uh, we cannot discount the considerable contributions at the late game that Fantasy, uh, put in. One of my co editors works for Mozilla that, uh, made it like a yeah. hundred times better right at the very end. Oh. That's a lot of times better. Yeah, she said. I was just talking with her recently about how, but you guys are like a super team when you when you co-write and you can like you can like start a sentence in the spec and she can finish it and it's kind of good good synergy there. 
Oh, yeah, it's exactly true. You know, all about pro- pair programming, we do pair spec writing, and it's way more productive than the two of us working on spec separately. It's ridiculous. Yeah, that's cool. I would, I would, I don't know. I would imagine that being like annoying almost to be like have people finishing your sentences, but not in your case. Very good. So we'll uh, we'll talk. We'll talk more about well, your. Can, can I just ask the the million dollar question? How close is Flexbox now? Okay. Yes. So Flexbox is officially. Well, so the working group, the CSS working group, has resolved to send it to CR which is the middle stage in a spec's lifetime. It's when prefixes can be dropped. It's when it's assumed that everybody will have public implementations in the very near future. Uh, it's currently going through the transition request. We've got to schedule a call with the W3C director guy to uh, make sure we addressed everybody's comments during the period preceding CR. Uh, but that should go through no problem because we were very thorough and addressed everything. So at least in a few in a week or two, hopefully, uh, we'll have an actual CR level draft published out on the W3C. Which Soon is after like that, a recommendation, right? Like this is yeah. So yeah, Rex just what comes after. That's the very next stage. CR oh, is just right in the middle. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the only difference is you get Rec whenever you have a test suite that at least two people pass, or at least two implementations pass. But CR comes before so you don't have to pass. The test and hold that. Well, who's going to pass next? Who knows? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So in a few weeks, we should have CR. Soon after that, uh, Chrome should drop its prefixes, and then everybody else whose implementations are almost ready in the wings should have theirs out in a month or two or something like that. I don't think Chrome is prefixed. I think it's already unprefixed. Am I wrong about no. that? Still prefixed right now. We okay. may have dropped it in Canary. I don't know. I haven't been keeping super close tabs on what our implementers have been doing this week, but who knows? <laughs> yeah. Gosh, I, so now, you get to hang... Okay. Yeah, I'm just build, like filling up with questions. So Chrome's going to drop prefixes once it goes to CR. Is that is that a change as well? Like that browsers are going to start doing? Like, no, that's how what our policy has been for years. Like okay. specs should okay. stay prefixed while they're in, or things should stay prefixed while the spec is below CR and drop them while they're above. Uh, the actual change that's coming up is that we've been running into the problem of it takes us too damn long to get things to CR. And so everybody implements it. Everybody gets pretty interoperable, but there's still so many prefixes flowing around, like, yeah. like transforms when you have to do like four times or linear gradients or whatnot. Um, so we might be – we've been trying to tweak at things so that we can actually drop prefixes before CR. But no, the hit CR drop prefixes has been the policy for years and years. Okay. Okay. I, ju- I just <laughs> this is like my man. My excitement no meters at ten right now. I'm just. <laughs> I'm just. This is where the cool stuff happens. So you're at the the epicenter of all this cool stuff. I get to use later down the line. I love it. I love it. Totally. Flexbox is going to be a really a really cool one too. It just has this like bummer. <laughs> Not bummer history, but kind of like people were like. There's just a ton of what well, there was a ton of people talking about it before this big rewrite, right? And it had all this like deep browser support. And I say, you know, and you know, Tab was kind of correcting me on this recently. Like it, it had deep browser support, but there was like it was like kind of buggy and inconsistent browser support. Mm-hmm. So to say that, yeah, right. So like I don't know. It's just one of those things that like we re- I really want browsers to catch up on Flexbox really quickly now, uh, and I, I probably won't get my wish. But we'll see. Oh, no, they'll be quick. So I think by the end of the year, there will be unprefixed Flexbox implementations in everybody but IE. IE 10 should have a prefixed one. 
Uh, I'm not sure exactly how closely the I implementation has been tracking the last few changes in the draft. As we were ramping up into CR, uh, we had to address some feedback and made a few small tweaks. So they might have slightly different names. They'll be MS prefixed, and they might have slightly different behavior in some corner areas. But otherwise, it'll still be the same spec as everyone else implements. And then soon after that, they should unprefix and do an update and whatnot. Nice. Awesome. So it helps that you oh, – I'm sorry. What do you got, Dave? Hit me. Oh, go ahead. You go ahead, Chris. I kind of want to know about – like, is it – so like you work on the spec for, for the W3C, but you're a Google employee. And then you co-authored this with Fantasy, who is a Mozilla employee. So you get to like – you're just a little closer to home to the – to the people implementing it too, that's got to be beneficial, right? So you can't. It's not just like somebody writing it and then be like, "Hey guys, like, could you get around to this soon, please?" It's like you're the right. you work for the same company as the guys that write the C plus plus code or whatever it is, dude. Right, and like people in this kind of situation where they just kind of throw specs at the wall and hope that somebody implements it, usually through no fault of their own, they might be good people writing good stuff normally, but that kind of stuff usually doesn't succeed very well. Because it kind of follows the specs lead implementations follow model, which often isn't true because there's all sorts of little details that you don't realize if you're not actually deep down in the guts of the code. They're like, ah, this would be shitty. This will be really slow. Change this, whatever. And so if you're right there with the implementers, it's a lot easier to get immediate feedback and like head off any problems at the pass uh, before they get entrenched in the spec or something else depends on them and whatnot. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So you're not like a fellow, they call them, right? Those are different at the W3C? You just I have no idea them. what a fellow even is, but no. I am just a straight-up Google employee and a member of the W3C. Yeah, okay. I was just, we were literally out to dinner last night, and Leah Vru was there, too. And she is now an employee of, oh, the stupid bleep, uh, uh, of W3C now, but she said a fellow is like, you work for the W3C directly, but for whatever reason, your paycheck comes from some company. And I was like, oh, like Tab? She's like, no, not like Tab. He's actually a Google employee. But okay. I don't know. So it's like companies sponsoring somebody, but without... It seems weird that you would yeah, do it that okay. way rather than just having an employee contribute time, but whatever. I agree. <laughs> All right, um, let's and, done with this. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, Tab, you also, I've seen flying around the internet, so you have a really cool presentation about CSS4. Is that right? Yeah, I've been giving this talk a few times, the future of CSS, which is about a lot of new things that are coming down the pipeline. Well, hopefully, we'll, I will have to include a, a link in the show notes. Hopefully, we'll get that from you. But uh, yeah, I, yeah, I cruised through it. It's one of the fanciest slide around HTML <laughs> 5e uh, slide things. But uh, yeah, dude, it, uh, it was really cool. It got me really excited. Oh, nice. I'm happy. Well, cool. Shall we move on, Mr. Chris? Sure. There is a couple of – not much hot drama. I, I've just been bad about writing it down a little bit. There's probably more than this. But just this morning, I woke up and saw a tweet. They're like, oh, TextMate, that's open source now. I was like, oh, dang, really? That's cool. Kinda. Maybe it'll get better and stuff. So TextMate 2, you know, everybody was like, oh, it's vaporware. And then it actually did come out. And then it was like not what everybody hoped it was. And then dude's like, okay, whatever. I'll just open source it. So that's kind of awesome. Yeah, but that? Is, is that – is that like him open sourcing it, or is that him just giving up? Well, I, some, a lot of people crapped on him for giving up too. I'm like, is it he? Made, he wrote some really great software that was really successful, and a lot of people used for a long time. That's more than a lot of us have accomplished in our lives. Like, well, I don't, I don't feel it 
cool to crap on dude for for just being like, oh, I give up, you know. Fair enough. Fair enough. Ah, uh, no. Fair enough. He did a big cool thing. Maybe he is. Maybe he's give. Maybe he's just. Maybe his mother is deathly ill. Okay, guys. Whoa, <laughs> man. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Dropping the hammer. Sure, doesn't. Okay, whatever. Uh, and I thought in, in in this week's hot drama news, Dave, our own Dave, is doing <laughs> Freaky Friday with Ryan Ireland, a previous sponsor of Shop Talk Show with his product Majingo, right? Well, can you tell us about your Freaky Friday experiment? So in, in Austin here, we have a, a thing called Cafe Bedouins where every like Tuesday night people go out to a coffee shop and code and, and work on side projects and stuff like that. You know, you ask your old lady if you can leave the house and the kids and and go out and work on, on nerdy stuff. And so I was there and he was like, what editor do you use? And I told him I use Coda 2. I just, I just like it. You know, I, I've used it for years. And he was like, you should switch to Sublime. Sublime Text 2. And I was like, nah, I tried, man, but it's not my thing. The key bindings, blah, blah, blah. And then he was like, how about this? I'll take... I'll work on Coda 2 for a week and you work on Sublime Text 2 for a week and we'll see where we're at. So at the end of a week. So yeah, we got this like freaky Friday experiment going on where I'm only in Sublime Text 2 for the next week. So kind of cool. I encourage you to do it. It's sort of like breaks up your flow, but it's, it's interesting. I like the idea of it, even if it's not these two exact softwares to just be like, to force yourself to use something uncomfortable for a minute just to see, you know, dude, if, if like designers had a fireworks Photoshop freaky Friday thing, dude, the whole world would end. People would freak out. <laughs> I just, I'm just imagining people like crying cause <laughs> they're using something different. I don't yeah. know. It'd, it'd be cool. Oh, we have a, uh, so Josh, um, Dyke, I think, sent in a link that he's just said, you know what, for whatever reason, we always end up talking about how p- big of a pain in the butt it is to sync local and remote databases, and he sent in an article on, uh, so it's so dumb saying URLs over the radio, so I'm just not going to do it, but I am going to put it in the show notes. <laughs> but thanks for sending in that link. If you guys have a link that is something that we're talking about on the show, and you're like, I have a thought about that, or a cool article or something, send it in. We'll do a, we'll do a follow-up on that type of thing. I love doing that, so it's cool. Do you have any last-minute things, Dave, before we get into Q&A? Well, I just got a little question maybe to start things off here. Um, it, so my question is why did the geek add body padding top 1000 pixels to his Facebook page or his MySpace page? Cause you could do that with MySpace. I feel Anyways. like this is a repeat because he wanted to keep a low profile. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, the soundboard's broken. <laughs> Low profile. Low All right, pro- let's get into some question and answer. We have some stuff just for tab. Just for, yep, 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 yep. yep. Here we have one from Phil. Okay, a low profile. You guys get it? This is a question just for tab. He's just acting. now hitting Chris. It's a timed time joke. It, this it's is classic. a slow release. Yeah. I hope you had a cup of coffee this morning or, 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 or your mind is mentally ready or you're a morning person or something because this is a classic 
pseudo brain bender. Why don't CSS floats clear themselves? It's not no. a joke one. It's this guy, this guy wants to know. We always we're constantly setting overflow hidden. We're constantly using the clear fix. Why do we have to do this at all? Uh, because you don't want them to clear themselves. More precisely, uh, like you know, like so. Here's just an excellent example because I just have it on top of my head. All the crazy float-based layouts that want to use floats to produce like multiple columns next to each other. If floats mm-hmm. auto-cleared themselves, those wouldn't work. So, eh? Yeah, one more time? What, like columns wouldn't work? Yeah, so like a lot of float-based layouts use floats to get columns. Like, you know, you have your sidebar and your main content, and those are floated next to each other. Right. So if floats auto-cleared themselves, though, those would go one below the other. Oh, right. But but I think he is probably asking more about like, well, those columns would be part of a parent element. And if they're all floated, that parent element collapses to zero height. That's like, but that's a bummer. Like what? Oh, like what, you know so what I mean? that's what he's talking about. Yeah, that's that's crap. It's very annoying. Um, I don't really have an answer other than maybe it's legacy. Maybe there was a good reason originally. I don't know. But uh, for now, though, we are trying to address the whole like container doesn't size to fit its floats thing. That's very annoying to work around right now with an explicit value over on uh Min width and min height. It's over in the new sizing module that Fantasy and I wrote up just last week. Uh, that introduces like width min content, width fill available and whatnot, and then puts in a contain floats keyword as well. So you can make sure that it does. Oh, no use. way, really? You're going to have that yeah, in the you know. spec? Contain floats? Yep. Uh, no way you don't have to mess around with overflow hidden and shit. Yeah, that's the greatest thing I've ever heard. I thought that was all kind of like a theoretical, like, oh, there's no way we're going to ever do it kind of thing. I don't know where I got that from. Then, then you could like easily polyfill that with like a, you know, if it has the property contains floats, you just clear fix, right? Or something right. like that. Which, wow. isn't, which isn't as awesome, but it's it's like almost as awesome. Okay, that's awesome. Thank you, Tab. I feel like we owe you a debt of gratitude. Yeah, Nicole uh, Sullivan always wants like positioning context new or formatting context new or something. That was like her. Right. And yeah. like, so I don't think that she actually wants the full power of a positioning context because that's what makes the like overflow hidden magic work. Uh, overflow hidden or any overflow value and a couple of other things turn a block into a block formatting context and block formatting context or BFCs because it's annoying to say uh, <laughs> BFCs prevent any children floats from escaping and prevent any outside floats from coming in so there's a lot of weird behavior around floats that's turned out to be kind of useful in a hacky way that's because of BFCs but I don't think you really want usually like the whole thing as a unit you want the individual pieces that are useful, like the ability to prevent your children floats from escaping out of you. So we'll give you just that feature and we'll give you just this feature and give them all in little pieces as we see that, yes, they really are useful and great. Uh, that way you can do what you want rather than having to hack at it with a giant hammer. Nice. That's nice. Cool. cool. That's cool. Yeah. Well, awesome. I- I read like an article at one time that, it, that really clearly explained why parents don't, why parent elements don't like auto clear the floats within them or don't, you know, like the, the why they have that collapsing behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, that made really good sense. And if I can find it, I'll link it up in the show notes. It's kind of like two elements right next to each other in the DOM and one of them had like something floated within it and like, 
and like the next one below it kind of nicely sneaks up into the one above it. If the, but if it auto cleared the float, it would like have this big weird gap. And, and like mm. if that was the case, then are, we would be just as mad about that as designers as we are about the current <laughs> situation. Mm. So anyway, whatever. I'll link it up. Okay. Next. Right. Okay. Next question is from Muscles McTouchdown. Um, <laughs> I assume he's. Irish. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, so he says, I'll give you a, guys Hello. a dollar if you anonymously, oops, ask Tab where he lands on the extended image search set syntax versus the currently proposed picture syntax and why. For a bonus dollar, point out that the extended source set syntax only accepts pixel based values and hey, doesn't that mean more or less outdated before it ships anywhere? I was never here. Sincerely yours, Muscles McTouchdown. <laughs> I'm uh, kind of suspecting whose Muscles McTouchdown might be in the first place. But uh, <laughs> All right. So let's explain uh, what extended image source set is at all. Because if, right, if you just have no idea, this would be weird. So. Right. So, you know, there's the whole thing about responsive images. You want to be able to serve... Uh, different images based on media query breakpoints, and you want to be able, and combined with that is the ability to serve different uh, resolution images to different devices, so that your nice Retina iPad gets the double resolution stuff, while normal computers don't spend time downloading the quadruple size image that they can't even get benefit out of. So there are a few ways proposed to deal with this. One is, that came out of the responsive images community group was the picture element. Brand new element added to HTML that uh, took – it looked kind of like a video or audio where they had sources inside of them. And each source had uh, like a media query and a resolution like identifier so that you could just list a whole bunch of images and the browser would choose which one's most appropriate. Uh, on the other hand, the one that's currently in the HTML spec that was written by Hixie. Uh, the HTML editor, is like that, only condensed down into a single attribute. You just add a new attribute source set to the image element that has a little uh, sub-syntax that takes uh, a URL, a resolution, and then like a width and height that it should apply to like for the screen, and just a comma-separated list of these mm -hmm. uh, next to each other. So it's the exact same functionality, just one's more compact and like pearly, and one's larger and more XML-y. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, the question to, is, where do you yeah. land on that? <laughs> right. So I'm going to have to disappoint muscles. I don't have a strong opinion either way. Uh, I kind of prefer the more compactness of the source set uh, because if I'm going to be giving several images, and I'm probably going to be doing this for like all my content images, I probably don't want to write a whole lot of markup for that. I want a relatively small amount in my actual page. Mm -hmm. But... It doesn't bother me to have the – the picture element isn't that much more verbose. It doesn't bother me very much anyway. So my preference is for whatever the hell Hixie decides on because I don't care very much. Yeah, and which is a, a fair opinion. I'm sure. Yeah. So his the bonus dollar was that the as written or whatever in the – I don't know. I should say as it's written in stone because it's a spec, right? So these are things are fluid, moving targets kind of. Uh, or the way that it was proposed was like the the the, the value that it's like is all, they're all pixel based yeah. is the point right and that's yeah, I it. That. 
Yeah. So, like I said, the the two are basically equivalent. They both have the ability to essentially use media queries on the screen to tell which uh, picture it should download, one for narrow, one uh, for wide, etc. Um, but the, the picture one uses actual media queries, just straight up what you would use in CSS or the media attribute or whatever. While source set uses a slightly different syntax that expresses the same thing, but it can only express widths or heights in pixels. It's just like you say 200W, and that's the same as saying max width 200 pixel. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, this is one thing that does bias me slightly against the source set attribute that's all compact because the big argument is a lot of Media queries are phrased in terms of M's. You'll say, if my page is more than 50 M's wide, use this or whatever. And Hixie's argument against this is that in practice, well, the M that you see in media queries isn't exactly the same as the M that you'll see on your page. It can't be because you don't have all the styles yet. So it's based just on whatever the user's default font size is, which Um. is almost always 16 pixels. So if you say 20 M... Uh, in, for almost all people, that's going to be exactly the same as saying 320 pixels. So Hixie's argument is that we simply don't need other units like that because they can all be expressed in pixels for the majority of people and the fraction of people that do change their default font size instead of, say, changing a default zoom level on the browser will shrink to zero. I don't know if I agree with this. I would prefer seeing real units in there if nothing else, just to make it easier to match up between media queries in your style sheet and the media queries expressed yeah, it in the source. Seems, it does seem a little weird to just invent a new style of pseudo. <laughs> no, I shouldn't right. use that word because that has meaning, but it just seems weird to like pick a new style of expressing what's essentially a media query just for this. Yeah, yeah. And, and for what it's worth, I recently was in a situation where I was coding up like a giant hero unit and... Um, we're trying to 200% proof it for accessibility stuff, and we had to switch the media queries to M units. And then, like, yeah, and I'm not like, I don't know if source set would have fallen apart there, but um, but it was just kind of like, a, oh, geez, now I got to use M units on this thing. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm just saying real-world context, I did that last week. So. Right. Yeah, I think <laughs> but- I, I think Hixie's being unreasonable with that point. I would love yeah. to see source set just with actual CSS units, not just forcing everything to pixels. But I, I oh. wouldn't even mind source set just for like 2x, 3x, 4x stuff. Is that, that seems really that seems, That's another part of source set is that, and, and that the picture people are conceding d- this does better is dealing with that, with the resolution thing. Because you just mm. put 2x, you're, you comma separate them or whatever and put 2x yeah. in. But is two, what does two x really mean? It's two x of 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 what it used to be in the olden days, or you know what right. I mean? Like I feel like two x is a little bit of a weird thing to chuck in there. So basically, well, technically it means twice the default resolution, which is ninety six DPI. CSS all images are assumed to be ninety six DPI. If they're actually something else, uh-huh. too bad. We're going to treat you like you were and resize it. Uh, but in practical terms, all it means is that if you say it's 2x, then if it gets auto-sized in the browser, it will be half the size that you see normally. If you produce a 400-pixel-wide image in your, uh, like in, I'll just say MS Paint, and then declare that it's a 2x, and then you put it in the browser, don't give it an explicit width and height, it will look like a 200-pixel-wide image instead. It'll be like double the density. That's all. 
Okay. So it just means it doesn't mean you know you're on a monitor that's two X res it just means shrink it in half, kind of. <laughs> if it gets chosen, yeah, it gets shrunk in half. But yeah. having that information there saying this should be a double image, like I intend normally what you'll do is you'll have your one X image and your two X image intend to be displayed the same size. That means your two X image will actually be twice as wide and twice as tall or four times as large overall as your one X. So that yeah. information that you have a small image and a large image is used by the browser or should be once people implement this to decide which one to download based on whether your screen can actually use it, uh, if your connection speed is too low, whatever. And that's the really valuable part of this. Ideally, it makes that determination and only downloads one of them. Right. Not all of them. That's exactly what the spec says. Choose one and then download it and that's that. Okay. Cool. Cool. That's like going to be good for the world. Uh, should we do? Let's see. How long has it been here? It's been thirty minutes. We better do our sponsor, Environments for Humans. You know what? This is kind of a thing, right? Because again, it just so happens that all three of us. Okay, for one thing, it's Environments for Humans, right? Environmentsforhumans.com. Go there. They do conferences. They do some in-person conferences. They do more of these online conferences that anybody in the world can attend just through their browser. Um, uh, we just did the CSS Summit recently. That's passed, but the new one is going to be the Responsive Web Design Summit, which is at rwdsummit.com, right? Yeah, and then it kind of redirects to the to the the full URL of it. Trent Walton speaking there. Dave Rupert. That's two thirds of Paravel right there. Um, Mark Rabansky, Zoe Gillenwater, and me. Oh, Christopher Schmidt himself is going to do one. Cool. So it's a one day thing rwdsummit.com. And also, uh, it just so happens that all of us in the room are going to be at another Environments for Humans event, the CSS DevComp in Hawaii in December. Hey, hey, hey. All, Me and Dave and Tab will be there, right? So excited, yeah. Yay. Yeah, that's good. I actually looked into the coconut bra thing. I know we made a promise, and I intend to follow through with it. And I was like, should I order them and pack them now? Or should do you think we could get a better deal on a coconut bra while we're in Hawaii. They'll probably try to fleece you. I'd buy them here. <laughs> you know those Hawaiians. Yeah, we could probably dollar store it here, and it's probably going to be like, okay. you know, twice mm. twice as expensive over there. <laughs> <laughs> CSSDevConf.com runs back-to-back with uh, uh, In Control Conference, too, which is going to be also in Hawaii. So if you're looking to go and really nerd out, uh, there's all those things. So responsive, rwdsummit.com, environmentsforhumans.com, hey, controlconference.com, csstevconf.com. Lots of URLs. We'll put them all in the show notes for you if you want to. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, they're not paying me for this, but we are at the <laughs> CSS Summit, and uh, it was pretty epic. So um, it, it was super rad. So the CSS Summit that just happened. So yeah, that was really a good enjoyed one. it. Three You're days. Or for missing it. <laughs> there you go. Well, awesome. cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so, shall we launch into some more questions here? Oh, this is my favorite one. I think of the of the week, just because uh-huh. it's it's interesting. And this guy, you know, like it just we need to give him this. The answer will either be hilarious or uh, uh, okay. Let's just say it. Should I just read it? Can I just read it out loud? Yeah, hit it, hit it. Todd Coulson, Carlson. I know this is CSS one hundred and one. But I was on a page that talked about margins, paddings, and borders. You know, the good old box model, which, by the way, I should have added this in, in hot drama. You go to cssboxmodel.com right now. 
It's awesome. Uh, I'm typing it in. It's a shirt. It's a new shirt that just came out. They have this like hot lady on it, but the but the the shirt is awesome. It's literally a T-shirt of the box model. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I gotta finish this question. Why are there three different names for quotes? More space around my box. Why wasn't there just one put in? Is there any reason why we need three different properties to determine space around a box? Uh, you know, aside from the thought I just had that we could give three pretty colors to surround my box with rules. <laughs> Todd is wondering, why is there such thing as margin padding and border? Do we really need three things? <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So simple answer. Yeah, we totally do need three things because they all do three completely different things. They're all like spacing, sure, but... Padding is invisible. It doesn't. It adds to your uh, background space and all that. Border isn't invisible. You see it unless you like make it transparent or whatever. Uh, and then margin goes around the outside and like collapses with itself and does all sorts of fancy things to make it work nice and easily. They're like totally different concepts. I, yeah. I don't understand. I would say that. <laughs> yeah, it was confusing to me too. I was like, yeah, of course we need them all. They behave differently. Although, although you know, it does confuse a little bit when you get it. What is that property background uh, clip? Right, so you yes. can like you can decide whether you want a background to cut off just at the content area, or if you want it to go all the way through the border, or just up to the padding, or all that stuff. So mm. that does confuse it a little bit. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we totally need all those things. And just think of the the, the, the last thing you said, Todd, was uh, the thought that I could give three colors to surround my box with. I mean, yeah, that's kind of a big deal, you know. Like maybe you Although, do need three colors. Two of the colors that? are transparent, but yeah. Well, they wouldn't have to be, right? Well, yeah. yeah. There's an old proposal, like years, years old, from Mozilla uh, that would give you a border colors property that would let you put multiple colors in your border. Kind of like a, a gradient in your uh, border width. Uh, kind of. Isn't there like a well? There's some border style that looks kind of beveled that they are kind of multiple. Yeah, colors. Yeah, got inset, outset, and some other ones. Yeah, but what about this? Can you do this? Can you make the content area of something without using anything? Well, like with background clip, can you comma separate background clip to? Yeah. To, okay, so you could in one box have a different color for like the content area and the, give the, just the padding a different color. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. One background that fills the box and then one background that covers that up that only fills the content area. And so it'll look like the padding is an extra border kind of. Yeah. Fancy. Okay. I don't know if you'd ever use that. Cause it's kind of weird when color changes right at the edge of text, you know, like there's a little, oh, it's the whole reason padding exists. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> also, Todd, you can't do uh, padding dashed. Uh, that's impossible. So <laughs> the dashed property is probably the best part of border. I love it. <laughs> uh, also, if you do like a 100-pixel transparent border, I'll, I will laugh and silently judge you. So <laughs> I'm a terrible human being. That's why. Man, oh, well. People in the chat room are linking up. Uh, it's, this is apparently the at idiot show because, like, we mention them on every single show. Visualidiot.com slash article slash 50 shades. And uh, it's, it's, it's somewhat related to it's an article of or it's a review of 50 shades of gray with hex colors of different grays. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, should, uh, we should fly in uh, at idiot just for yeah. uh, 
You can't. You can't find out who he is. Nobody knows. Oh, really? He's a mystery. He's like a. There's other people like that on the internet, isn't there? I don't know. <clears throat> okay. Yeah, is, why is one of the shades just boobs? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. Good question. Let's <laughs> see. That's. <laughs> Because, I don't know, have you yeah. read it? Dang! <laughs> <laughs> Good. That was a priceless soundboard moment. Okay, well, uh, so we're going to, I'm going to jump to an audio question here next, if, if you guys don't mind. Um, so, uh, this one's from Name and Goal, uh, and here we go. Hey guys, uh, I've been playing around with CSS transitions for this new site where I'm making basically like a keynote presentation. Uh, over at 10 to the power.com. Uh, they work p- pretty well in Chrome. They're basically perfect, but in, in Safari and on all iOS devices, uh, the transitions are really jumpy and jittery. Uh, so, should I not use transitions yet? Are they not ready for prime time? Also, for more uh, big animations such as these, uh, should I stick to using JavaScript and not CSS transitions? What do you say? Thanks. Oh, that's a so. Two questions: Why is why is it junky in Safari and Tab? I want your official Google employee perspective on that. Put on no. my Google hat. <laughs> no, but uh, it or specifically, I think you mentioned iOS stuff, mobile Safari stuff, and then I, I guess the big question is: Are transitions not ready for prime time? Should we still just be doing that with? Uh, jQuery or something like that. Yeah. So trying to debug transition jankiness issues is really hard because there's a lot of different things that can be taxing shit. Like uh, one thing that we run into a lot is when we're trying to be fancy, we use a lot of effects that create a whole bunch of stacking layers. Uh, like anytime you use a, a 3D transform, it makes a new like hardware stacking layer because we're doing a lot of rendering off in the hardware instead. And too many of those, like, you put it, those were introduced to increase performance because then the hardware can just handle one layer, it's nice and easy, and then just combine them together real quickly on the GPU. But you get too many of them together and you start doing more complicated transforms around them and things start, like, that works against you. And so things will get janky. So sometimes it's just doing too many other complicated things at once and the browser just can't keep up. Uh, so you just have to, like, play with it and see what exactly is going on. I don't know exactly how well. I don't know exactly how well Safari's implementation works. I think they have a different implementation than we do over in Chrome. In fact, I know they do. We have our own hardware-based implementation. They have a different one. And iOS, I just can easily believe, since that's on a like much weaker machine uh, than your desktop would be, that would just get swamped by something much more quickly. So, hitting the meta question, come after it. Are they ready for prime time? Yeah, totally. Just be careful with what you're doing. Make sure to test your responsiveness of things um, before you put it out in the wild because sometimes you may just need to simplify. Uh, I recently just had a page that had too many box shadows on it and box shadows slowed down transitions because there was some blur. I was just able to remove the blur and it sped everything up because blurring is a an expensive operation. But uh, little details can weigh things down without you ever realizing them. And you just gotta like tweak and figure out what exactly is costing so much. Yeah. Cool. But I have some thoughts as well. What do you got? What's the the final word? 
Oh, and then I was just saying about JavaScript animations. No, fuck them. JavaScript animations are the worst. <laughs> there is no way that you can get JavaScript animations significantly faster. Uh, the because they're not being done in hardware, you're constantly having to switch back and forth between C++ and JavaScript, the execution context is, and it can never touch the hardware. So transitions will always be like at least as good as JavaScript, except in degenerate situations where you're, because you know exactly what's going on, can skip a bunch of crazy shit the browser might be doing to sanity check things. But in almost all situations, transitions will be at least as good and usually much better than using JavaScript. Now, hand it off to Chris. Oh, yeah, okay. So I wrote down a few things that was just like, while while I was thinking about this, he, first of all, he said that this is a, a, a slideshow, like a, like a presentation he's going to do, Naaman, right? Uh, so if it's, you, you're not trying to make it smooth for everybody in the world, you're trying to make it smooth for yourself for this presentation. So try a bunch of different browsers, put some more RAM in your computer, whatever, right? Because it only needs to be smooth once when you give it in this case. I mean, that's a weird answer. But another thing is he's, he mentioned specifically in the question, is there a problem with um, animating absolute position elements with like the top, left, bottom, right, and, and, that, and that type of stuff? I'm like, I don't know, maybe not inherently, but I've always had better performance when you use translate X mm. and translate Y to move stuff rather than top, left, bottom, right. You know? Right. And there's a good reason for that. That's okay. because whenever you touch top, left, bottom, right, even if you just touch top left, there's a potential that that can do layout things because you know if you leave width alone on element and just tweak left and right, it sets the width. So the browser's not sure if you're tweaking left, if it's going to be just a simple movement or if it's going to be something that changes the size of the box and it needs to do a full layout. So again, it's the kind of thing where the browser has to go do extra work to sanity check and make sure everything's cool. That's why transforms work a lot better because they know that's never going to affect the size of the box at all. It's just moving things around, moving pixels around. So a Translate X will usually perform a lot better. And then independently of that, transforms often invoke hardware acceleration. So that can sometimes help you out as well. Yeah, yeah. Although Translate X, it's, that happens when, well, I'm not sure. I, how do I? I don't know anything. But there used to be an old school trick where if to give things a more smooth, you like fake a 3D transform, even if it's just a 2D transform. So, you, yeah. you know, like you can translate X something, but use the 3D version of it and just put zero, zero for the, for the two that aren't moving and it would like trigger it better. I'm not sure if that's still the case. I know that at the time that was just forcing hardware acceleration, and that was sometimes better and sometimes worse. It's Hardware acceleration isn't a magic go-fast button, unfortunately. Uh, right, and it, it did weird stuff to text, which is still a big issue. I need to, I need to whine about this harder, because the, even in Chrome and Safari, that, like, when you invoke a transform, it does this text thinning thing that's sometimes kind of awful. Uh, I think it's because we go down different, like we try to invoke a different uh, text drawing path in some circumstances, so you do get different results. It's kind of weird. Yeah, yeah, I ran into that. It's like position relative or something plus an animation gets like a little womp. But, you know, it's still new, guys. So just let it let it be new. I was going to chime in and say um, if you're interested in, in animations, especially for presentation software, you need to go to the master, Hakeem El-Hitab. Um, it's mm-hmm. Hakeem S-E or dot S-E, H-A-K-I-M dot S-E. 
This guy knows what he's doing. He's also on CodePen, doing epic stuff. So, yeah, follow that guy. That's my thoughts. His recent thing was that menu thing, right? So, like, you, and you could you could try it out on any page, which is cool. But it was just like, you know, like the the classic design pattern, like that, like let's say the Facebook app uses on phones. Like when you need to get to the navigation, it just slides out like a drawer from the left, and that's where the navigation is. He did it, but instead of it just sliding out a drawer from the left and pushing the page over, the whole page like 3D transforms like a cube kind of and reveals it on a different plane. That's it's awesome looking. It's cool. It's cooler than you think. <laughs> okay, uh, let's do some more questions. Yeah, heck yeah, we're gonna do. Do you, let's uh, let's jump on down, Evan. Yeah, here we go. Uh, Evan wrote in, he said, Hey guys, I was wondering what kind of higher education expectations there are for web developers. I have a degree in film and everything I know in web development has been self-taught. I'm curious. Uh, I guess I'm curious whether or not having a degree in computer science or graphic design is a weakness in hiring potential is a weakness in hiring potential. Uh, are you judged more on the work you do instead of the resume credentials? Is it better to uh, is it a better choice to continue teaching myself and building a portfolio rather than pursuing something like grad school? We get a lot of these on, it's just kind of like, what should, you know, like what's, how important is school and what am I doing? You know, I mean, I'm sure you've heard this talk about it before, but I like throwing it in because I like to hear what the guest perspective is on this. Like, you know, I want to get a job in web <clears throat> stuff, but what, you know, what was your path like and how did it work out for you? Yeah. Tab, yeah. are you like CS or? So, yeah, I've got a CompSci bachelor's, but that has virtually nothing to do with what I'm actually doing now. I learned nothing about the web then, nothing about the kind of technical writing that I do in specs and whatnot. It was just a standard computer science degree. It was really useful that I got all my algorithms and data structures in because that kind of helps when I'm trying to – well, when I'm trying to understand what the hell the browser is actually doing, it's good to have that background, but it's not necessary Uh and all of my web development knowledge is self-taught as well. I knew literally nothing about the web like five years ago. Taught myself entirely it just so I could stop doing tech support phone calls at my old job. And then mm-hmm. bootstrap myself up into being the uh, sole web developer. Okay, wow. cool. So you don't consider it all that vital for you, your, your no, history? No, no, no. If you have whatever degree and you're teaching yourself and you do good work, that's all you need. Now, yeah, I've although you do work things. at the Google, so I bet they kind of check that out, huh? Don't they? They mainly just care about having a degree at all. Just that's just you know, the check mark that says you can try hard. You're not a fuck up. Uh, <laughs> okay. But uh, other than that, it's pretty much just: are you smart enough to pass through the interviews? And that's that. Nobody cares past that. Uh, it's just a matter of getting the degree helps you get your foot in the door. But if you have like an internal contact, or if you're just good or lucky, you can get through without that. It's no problem. Just build websites. Yeah. Yeah. I think your GitHub profile is probably a better resume than a resume. That would be my final answer there. Mm -hmm. But go to school. Learn stuff. That's good. Mm -hmm. But also... how to drink like a fish. (laughs) Water and Mountain Dew. (laughs) (laughs) We got time for a few more, or at least one yeah. more. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do uh, let's do this next audio question. We love audio questions. We, we got to pitch this. We got to keep saying this, but uh, we're we're the day is coming where we switch over to only audio questions here on the 
Shop Talk Show because we believe audio is the wave of the future for podcasts. So this is from Arturo Molina. Hello, Christian Dave. This is Arturo Molina from Mexico. Uh, I love your show. I really like the concept, and I think you do a wonderful job answering a lot of questions that many people have and sometimes don't know where to look for. So great, great work. And uh, my question is regarding character encoding. Uh, I've seen Chris, what beautiful HTML looks like post, and it says that uh, you need to use special characters, uh, encode any special characters. Uh, so I'm currently working on a site that has been set up to work with uh, UTF-8, and this site frequently uses symbols like dash and copyright, trademark, and some others. So we're planning on stop using the HTML code versions and just paste the corresponding symbol. And this has been working great so far, but I want to know if this is a bad idea on the long road or does it have any repercussions on accessibility? And if so, um, are there other benefits of using the encoded versions and is it better to use HTML name or number? So I appreciate any help you can give me this and keep up the good work. Thanks. Awesome. So Arturo's question is like, should we be using like the actual UTF character or should we still be doing like the and, you know, X5920 semicolon or is it better the just to... ones at trade or, the, or ampersand trade semicolon. Or should we just, should yeah, should we be doing snowman or at snow or ampersand <laughs> snowman semicolon? Which, which is better? Uh, they're... As long as you have the encoding declaration set correctly, and Arturo totally does. He has it set to UTF-8, which is the correct answer uh, in all cases. You can just put them right in, no problem whatsoever. It's perfectly fine. No effect on accessibility or whatever. Uh, in fact, it has some benefits, you know, tiny benefits, but one character little dude is obviously a few bytes smaller than the equivalent entity. So it's one of those, like, teeny tiny micro optimization things that nobody won't actually have any effect whatsoever but it makes you feel nice inside uh the only thing reason that i would recommend ever using named or numeric entities is when the character you're using looks a whole lot like an existing like ascii character or is invisible like a non-breaking space looks just like a normal space so you should always use the and mbsp thing and there's a bunch of quotes like quote characters that similarly, you should probably use entities just so you can tell them apart. But if they're distinct, if it's easy to look at them and see, uh, then yeah, just go ahead and use the characters directly. It's no problem. Yay. That's good to know. I was a little, you know, I, I have been pretty much just using the characters when I need to, assuming it's UTFA. But it's one of those like weird territory where you're not like, is this cool or not? But we have the official word. It's cool. Yeah, and always put the UTF-8 declaration on your page. That's always the right answer. Everything else is a trick to fool you. All other declarations <laughs> are from the devil. All other ones. Get UTF-8 only. To get cool characters, I always like copypastecharacter.com. It's a pretty nice site for just like, oh, what's that trademark symbol? You just like click it and it's on your keyboard or it's on your, uh, what do they Clipboard. call that? Clipboard. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm always like, what's the one for sickle and hammer? Oh, there it is. <laughs> for my your, your communism <laughs> website that you run. Oh, Dave, uh, we just outed uh, you. Better dead than red, Dave. Uh, 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 <laughs> red and red and yellow, kill a fella. <laughs> <laughs>
That's what I always say. Oh, damn. <laughs> Are you going to bleep that? That's worse. I don't than know. Is that, I guess, yeah, now that I replay that back in my head, it's not good. It's, you know what? One thing that these characters can do is they're often like it. So, like if you're in Photoshop and you paste a heart character in that you got from copy paste character, a lot of times it just shows up as like a box with an X in it. Like this, this font doesn't have that. But on the web, it just works for some reason. The web is like smart enough to know. Like I don't, I don't care that he's using some weird at font face fight. When he pastes a little heart character in there, it just renders as the heart, no matter what the current font is. Which that's somehow magical to me. Uh, that one's easy. Browsers just know how to use fallbacks. If they don't, if your current font doesn't know how to render the uh, current glyph, it has a list of fallback fonts uh. it'll go back to. Some, you know, you can make an explicit list in Font Family, but it has a list of its own to fall back to when your fonts. I totally know that too. I don't know why that eluded me so much. But I just, I guess, I didn't realize that it happens like character by character. Absolutely, know? yeah. But it does. It will. You can potentially get a single word with like. A different font per letter if you do it very carefully. Yeah, actually there was a 24 Ways article about that one time. And a lot of times these characters are too big. That's another thing that annoys me. Like if you throw a heart in the middle of a paragraph, sometimes it throws the line height off and it looks janky. Anyway, that's another thing. Another show, maybe. What do we got? Do we have one more we can do before well, we're out here? I, if, if I could be so selfish, I would like to bring the conversation back to Flexbox. <laughs> if I could. <laughs> um, because I'm still thinking about it, and uh, so what? How, so with the this new spec, is it going to be easy to polyfill? Like, like you said, it should be in browsers by like the end of the year. But like, am I going to be able to use it, or how, what? What's your kind well, of sniffer there? It's one of those things that it's going to be hard to use alongside. Like you know, a lot of things in CSS are designed to let you easily fall back to something else. Uh, if you don't recognize a property, you just put a different property before it that does kind of the same thing, and good browsers will see the good one and use it. Other browsers will ignore it and use the previous one. So a lot of CSS is designed that way. Layout is really hard to get working like that, and Flexbox just can't do it. Like I couldn't figure out a way to make Flexbox work in a way that you could fall back to a decent layout otherwise. So it's going to be kind of hard. For the most part, it's going to be one of those things where for another year or two, you just use it on sites that are only targeting modern browsers. But luckily, the inertia of browser uh, version revving is going up and up. Everybody, all the slow people are finally catching up and starting to speed themselves up a bit. So uh, it'll be usable faster than you think everywhere. But at least for a little while, yeah, it's just going to be something you only use on your modern browsers only kind of site. Okay. Okay. Well, that, I mean, that still has a lot of mileage, you know, so it's it, just a matter of time, I guess. Yeah. And hey, you know, because uh, Firefox and Chrome and Opera all auto-update themselves, uh, unless your customers are being perverse and not doing auto-updates for some reason, in, like I said, by the end of the year or maybe a few months after that, those three browsers will be completely usable. The only one holding you back will be Safari and IE because they update more slowly. Uh, yeah, I guess like IE nine and ten, but in theory, you could just send send that as a one hundred percent wide column. Kind of, you could kind of create a a no flexbox class off of uh, something like Modernizer or something. Yeah, Modernizer is absolutely the way you're going to have to do this by yeah. hanging off your styles on whether or not it exists. Cool, and now, and then oh, go ahead. I was say, that said, 
uh, CSS is totally set to replace a giant chunk of modernizer with the at supports rule, where you just take a – it looks like a media query, except rather than giving some media query conditions or whatever, you just give it a property and value. And if the browser understands it and knows how to use that property and value together, it'll execute the code inside the block. If not, it'll ignore it. So once we have support for that, and unfortunately then you also just have to wait for everybody to support it, future things will be a lot easier to polyfill because you just say, do you understand new Flexbox, like Flexbox 2 or whatever? And if so, use all this Flexbox 2 code. Otherwise, use this older code that uses Flexbox 1 or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it'll just be all the basic functionality of uh, modernizer, but without any JavaScript and much faster and cleaner. Cool. Yeah, no, I saw it, it was probably your blog again about at supports, or maybe it was from Christian Heilman, but um, uh, yeah, no, that was that was definitely very cool. So, well, cool, thanks. I That was totally like, I feel like my pet project, like, <laughs> I have to ask all these questions about Flexbox right now. So, Chris, you got anything else? For what? Are we done? I think we're we're wrapping up, so... Okay. Um, uh, I guess tab. How can uh, people uh, get in touch with you? Follow you on Twitter. Do all that stuff. Give you money. Uh, I don't need money. I'm paid very well. Don't worry about that. But um, yeah, I'm Tab Atkins on Twitter. I'm sure y'all include a link around that somewhere. If you go to xanthir.com, X-A-N-T-H-I-R. What is that? Uh, mean? There's a contact page. It's an old name I used in like RPGs a long time ago. I just kind of use it as a name when I don't want to use my real name. Okay. So whatever. Uh, Good story. Yeah. I, yeah. So that has all my contact information. You can email me. That's fine. I have a blog. I finally added comments to it because I write everything my own. So it took me a long time to get around to it. Um, so you can do whatever you want there. Twitter, email, G+, I'm on the set, all that stuff. Cool. Awesome. Uh, well, yeah, and thanks, thanks for hanging out with us. That was a good show, wasn't it, guys? We, to, we got learned about the future and stuff. It's nice having people on that are kind of, in some way or another, the official word. I, I'm totally loving it. So, uh, well, cool. And uh, thanks again, Tab. And thanks, everyone, for coming out into the Talk.io chat room. And uh, we really appreciate that. Uh, thanks for listening live. Thanks for giving us five stars in iTunes and I, you know, I didn't check the tractor beam stunt, so I'll have to <laughs> check that out. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, that's the all. People I got. are demanding a waka waka. Oh just... man, we could probably give that to them. So um... <laughs> waka 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 waka. So... Hey, waka waka. <laughs> ah, waka, yeah, waka, and waka, thanks waka. to Environments for Humans and ShopTalkShow.com.